In today's episode, we discuss where faith and logic meet and overlap, how to overcome depression in difficult periods of life, the importance of mindfulness, how to integrate spirituality into your life and its benefits, and more. I really hope you'll enjoy today's talk with Brian Russell. As always, one of the best ways for you to support the show is to hop online, leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice, and please, if you like the show, give it a share with a friend. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast, where ancient and modern wisdom come together to create a better way of living. I'm your host, Shane Sorensen, and each week we speak with successful people from a plethora of disciplines in search of wisdom from their own lives. Your own personal renaissance begins today. Let wisdom be your guide. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast. I'm here with today's guest, Brian Russell. How are you doing today, Brian? Doing great, Shane. It's uh, such a privilege to be here with you and everyone listening today. Awesome. I'm excited for our conversation. I know we uh, chatted a little bit here before we hit record, so I'm excited to hear a little bit more about you know you and your background and some of the things you're working on. So um, to start, you know, why don't you just introduce yourself and uh, your work to our our listeners? Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, I think the easiest way to, to, to introduce myself is uh, just to say I, I, I work broadly in the, the realm of, um, I would say, uh, contemplative spirituality and, um, and, and mixed with some biblical studies and entrepreneurship. Um, let me unpack those three things. Uh, I've, I'm a professor of, of biblical studies, and so I've, I've, I've been teaching uh, mostly pastors. I teach in a seminary, so I've, I teach folks that are going into ministry, how to read and interpret the Bible. I've been doing that um, essentially since um, 1994. Um, I also um, am a contemplative, uh, and, uh, and what I mean by that is um, that's how I connect with ancient wisdom. We'll get into some more of my story later, but uh, um, I have gone through some difficult challenges in my life that my Previous understandings of the Christian faith, for example, didn't really um, solve, um, and so I got into ancient, I would call it the uh, spiritual exercises is the best way to think about that in the broadest perennial sense of it, but I filtered them through the Christian tradition, so I, uh, I, I teach a lot about uh, journaling practices and uh, centering prayer or contemplative prayer, which you might also just call silent meditation. And then the third piece of all that, and these were these things came together, um, my work in education, um, my studies on essentially myself uh, and opening myself up to deeper contemplation uh, allowed me to move into a coaching space. And so for the last uh, five years, I've had a, a coaching practice that I call deep dive spirituality. Um, and I work with um, pastors and I would just say spiritually minded folks that want to go just take a deep dive into themselves and open themselves up to growth. And what I would say the, the goal in life is to grow in love for um, keep it simple, uh, God or whatever you consider God to be others and then yourself. And so it's growth in those three areas of love. So that's what I do. And I write, I have podcasts, I teach, make videos and stuff. So I just love um, learning and spreading the word to other folks, the things that I found helpful for myself. Awesome. Yeah. Obviously I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of anybody out there, you know, bettering themselves. It sounds like you're, you know, you stretch yourself through a lot of things, which obviously causes a lot of personal growth, but um, I love that you're out there giving back also. I mean, uh, it, it's hard to find anything that feels as rewarding in life as kind of like helping somebody else, I think, you know, in, in their journey as well. So I, I love to hear that. Um, what, what are you currently working on now? Do you have any projects on, in the works or anything you wanted to talk about there? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm continuing to um, kind of promote and and, uh, and 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 enjoy some of the fruits of my last book. I did write the book on Centering Prayer that came out in 2021. So, like, I'm doing – I do some contemplative workshops here and there. Um, and the, the project I have, I have another book coming out in August of 2023. Uh, that's essentially a book about um, how to read the Bible in ways that actually personally transform you. Um, and another way to say that, okay. again, uh, would be something like um, one of my goals in teaching uh, scripture is 
to make sure that my students don't use the Bible to oppress or abuse other people and just use it to open themselves up for to, to God and transformation for themselves with the hope then also obviously that other people can join in that. So I wrote a book essentially using contemplative practices and uh, some Jungian shadow work stuff so that you can engage the, the Bible in a way that it doesn't just um, make you think, wow, I wish so-and-so would read this. Or like, oh, wow, I'm reading this. I wish Shane needs to hear this passage. It's like, no, it's like I need to listen to the text and hear how it actually calls me to change before I even consider uh, sharing uh, those teachings with somebody else. So that's, that's, that's coming up. Um, and then I have another book that I'm writing on. Um, this will come out in 2024 the Bible book's done. It's just um, in the editing phase now with the publisher. The, the next book I'm super sure. excited about, it's basically, <clears throat> um, for lack of a better word, it's about deconstructing one's prior faith commitments um, after going through a deep crisis and what it feels like to navigate that um, and come out on the other side in a way that's robust and ideal in that book um, with um, a little bit of my own story. And, um, and I uh, struggle and I, and I literally just try to unpack for anybody that's going to be interested in reading it, what it was like to, to feel utterly lost for a season, dark night of the soul type of a thing. And it was a long okay. season, like years, years. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, they, they both sound really interesting. I'll say like, you know, for the, for the, the first part, right. Uh, that's something that I talk a lot about in my book. And I, I try to tell people all the time is like, um, you know, it's like, take, take the splinter out of your own eye or take the rod out of your own eye before you criticize the splinter and someone else. Right. I mean, like everything that you're doing should kind of be through example. You know, if you're, if you're applying wisdom in your own life and you're getting your own house in order before you start criticizing someone else's house, it's always more effective than, you know, just walking into someone's house and telling them how dirty everything is and how they need to, you know, get everything together. And, um, you know, for the second, um, you know, I, I've been listening to a bit more Jordan Peterson lately. Um, and I, you know, it, it's definitely putting me more into the mindset of like kind of contemplating some of the wisdom from the Bible. And he, I, I love how he makes some of this wisdom more accessible, right? Which is, you know, like kind of what I try to do with like the ancient Greek and Roman world too. But, um, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of like Jesus on the cross saying, you know, what, why have you forsaken me? Right. Like, I think most of us, whether you have faith or not, um, have gone through some difficult period, obviously some have experienced more difficulties than others, but, you know, being able to sort of get through those time periods and feel that there is, a reason for it, find connecting to some sort of purpose, connecting to spirituality or God or however you navigate those and, and turning turning those opportunities or those things that you go through into opportunities to reframe the world and you know go go forward from there. So I, I think that's a an awesome message too. Indeed. Yeah. And you know, and you quoted Jesus yourself, that whole thing with a splinter in the log, that's right out of Matthew. And that's right in that book I was just talking about. It's one of the texts that I use when I'm talking about uh, making sure you, and then I found when you take the speck out of your own eye uh, or take the log out of your own eye, you often don't even see specks in the other people anymore. Yeah. I mean, there, there's just so much work you can do on yourself. It's like you, you could work forever on bettering yourself and you would never even need to criticize someone else or judge someone else. You know I mean? We're, we're never going to reach perfection ever. All right. So, um, you know, something I wanted to ask you and, uh, <clears throat> actually, so the reason that I got into philosophy originally was sort of a search for God. You know, I, mm -hmm. when I was younger, when I was a teen, um, I became a Christian and I, you know, I fell away in my later teenage years and, I, I would never say that I was an atheist. Um, I've always kind of reasoned that being an atheist, like at least, you know, I'm not judging anyone else, but like for my view set, I always kind of felt like being an atheist was a pretty unreasonable thing because I feel like it takes a lot more faith with, uh, with no definite knowledge of anything to say that there's not a God than it, you know, than it does to just say, well, I don't know. So I always thought the most honest answer was, you know, to kind of go the agnostic route and say, I don't know. And I, um, you know, I read the Bhagavad Gita, I read the Bible, I read, uh, parts of the Quran. Um, I read lots of philosophy. I read books by, uh, 
atheists that used to be, you know, pastors and books by pastors that used to be atheists and books by lawyers who, you know, tried to examine the case for, for God. And, uh, the more I dug, the more I just kind of realized that there was a really compelling case both ways. <laughs> and I kind of ended up at the place where I was like Kierkegaard, you know, we were standing on the shore and you kind of feel like it's just either, or you, you kind of can make a decision, not make a decision. Um, but in a way, not making a decision is making a decision also because the boat is still leaving the harbor one way or another. So um, I'm always curious, especially for someone with a background a little bit in like philosophy or with a more curious mind, you know, what, like what, what brought you to God and, you know, how do you, and this is the big question, it's kind of a follow-up, but uh, how do you reconcile faith and logic together? Yeah, and no, that's the per, that is literally the perennial question. So there's a lot to unpack there. And please interrupt me anywhere because I am a professor. You push a tape and the song plays for a while here, so I just have to say that because you just yeah, asked the big question, on. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, 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 first the thing we want to notice is even definitions. There's um there's flavors of atheism, and there's flavors of theism, for example. And what I mean by that sure. is like one of my favorite books. I think it's by. Um, John Gray, it's, I think it's called Seven Types of Atheism or something like that. And I'd recommend everybody read it. It's really good. And, and, and what he does is he just walks through. It's a, a survey of, of history. And what's interesting is he starts with, say, Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins, um, who are famous kind of almost yeah. evangelical atheists, you, you yeah. would call them. And, and I, again, I, I listen to Sam Harris's podcast. I find his mind to be brilliant. Obviously, I disagree with him on uh, on the theism question, but, um, you know, he's a really smart guy. But at some level, in Gray um, kind of dismisses Dawkins and, um, and, and Harris and the other folks. I forget who they are, the four uh, – horsemen of the atheist apocalypse or whatever they called themselves, but as being the most uninteresting types of atheists because they're almost fundamentalist <laughs> from the complete right. opposite side. And if, you, and if you survey history, there's always been atheists. Like you can go back to ancient folks. I mean, you, you probably know more about this than, than I do, but in a sense, um, um, you could argue in some ways um, that well, not in some ways, like the Epicureans were sort of atheists. Yes. They were materialists, yeah. but they had a, a deep reverence for the for the universe and the cosmos. So they weren't atheists in the same way that we think of. I don't believe in anything. I just purely believe in science. Um, the Stoics, um, they weren't atheists, but they had a bigger view than just the Greco-Roman system, right? So they believed in this bigger thing, whether, you know, and some Christians would say they were actually talking about um, God because they used the word law which Christianity then used to talk about Jesus and stuff. So you have that piece. And then you can walk through, um, like, contemplatives, for example, like um, the people that do deep contemplative prayer and sit in silence. Um, there's this whole experience that you have where you realize whatever you actually believe, there's something beyond that. And in a sense, that's an experience of a type of atheism because uh, like classic contemplative works like the clot of unknowing, which is the basis for a lot of silent meditative prayer, imagines the fact that you get on the on top of your own logic, your thoughts, your feelings, and then there's a void that you enter. And the idea was if you were going to encounter whatever, whoever God is, it comes out of this un cloud of unknowing. So it's just mystical stuff. And in some ways, you can look at the way atheists describe God and the way that deep contemplatives describe God. And it sounds like you're saying the same thing, except you have eight people saying there's nothing there and then people saying in the nothing, that's actually where God is. Um, you know, Nietzsche has that kind of famous quote, and I'm not a Nietzschean expert, but I've, I've liked, you know, it's the, hear it a lot. Um, I think Peterson talks about it a lot. It's the one where it talks about you want to be careful that you don't become a monster when you're facing a monster. And then Nietzsche adds, yeah. when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back. <clears throat> I'm interested myself, like, okay, because I feel like I've had that experience in my own contemplation. And I think at some point I realized whatever the abyss is, I think that's actually where God at, that God is actually on the other side of the abyss. And you just have to accept the fact what some people see as meaninglessness and emptiness is actually, that's the container. That's really the portal that where God is on the other side of that. And I would argue that on the other side of that is a tremendous uh, being of 
pure love that when we allow ourselves to kind of unpack and just sit with it, um, you can realize that there is, you know, meaning order in the universe. And our job then is to basically manifest the unseen um, through ourselves. Now, I just said a bunch of mystical stuff that sounded kind of philosophical at the same time. So let me also answer your question directly. Like, how do you reconcile sure. this faith thing and, and then pure lo and logic? Well, um, the reconciliation is in the tension itself. Um, uh, <clears throat> and what I mean by that is I think a, f a full life has to be able to embrace simultaneously utter uncertainty and certainty or um, mystery and certainty. Um, and if you deny either end of that, um, you get into problems. And so like the illustration, this comes from a New Testament professor named N.T. Wright. He's um, fairly popular. So some of the listeners may have heard him. And if you would type N.T. Wright into any search engine, you're going to find tons of material. He's been like a, a he's been a bishop in the Church of England, but he's also like a probably the best known um, biblical scholar in the world right now. And he uses this fascinating <laughs> illustration that I've always found helpful. He talks about, uh, imagine your life, your intellectual life, your spiritual life, your emotional life, it's a house. And uh, the challenge is, is that some people want to live their whole life in the attic. And the attic would be the realm of pure faith. Um, faith without any reason. I'm just going to believe, and you know, like maybe a Kierkegaard would talk about uh, a leap of faith. And I'm not saying Kierkegaard lived in the attic, but um, in a sense, it's like we don't have to have any reason. I just believe whatever I want to believe. <laughs> Some people want to live in the basement, which is I'll only believe something if I can 100% prove it with reason in the scientific method. Um, and that's fine too. But what we want to notice in both of those, um, you're stuck in two realms. And another theologian like Paul Tillich always talked about where does real true theology sit? It sits between sci pure scientism. In pure scientism, what I mean, nothing is true unless it can be verified in like a lab using, you know, logic, human reason. So the theologian stands between scientism and superstition. And I would argue a person that essentially isn't interested at all in science that only takes on faith, they're superstitious. So if you want to live in the house, we got to get out of the attic yeah. into the basement and meet in the living room. And so what happens in the living room? Um, science is going to ask hard questions about faith, but faith can ask questions of meaning back to science. And it's in that combination of things that tension, I think, is, um, you know, that's how I reconcile that. So what that puts me in a position of is I'm uncertainly certain or I'm certainly uncertain. Um, it's, that's why I kind of joke. It's like I'm not, you know, I joked with you before that depending on what day it is, I could be a Christian, an atheist, or an agnostic. That's not really true. Um, I, I'm, I'm a Christian who believes in the story of Jesus. Um, now, if you ask me to prove it 100%, can I? Um, no. Um, but um, I take the, the teachings of Scripture, religious experiences that I've had, the testimony of thousands of years, um, uh, the reality of transformations that I've seen in other people, and I put that together, and I'm willing to say, I'm going to live by these principles and this is going to allow me to live a life of what I would say the key thing, again, is love and loving God, which means <clears throat> um, not letting any other thing, ideology, actually take the place of, what, of, of a God of love. And because I love God, I'm going to love other people, which means I'm going to be a person who stands for, um, for justice over against injustice. My goal is to serve and bless others. I'm going to do no harm either in, um, actively, but I'm also not going to passively sit back and allow harm to happen to somebody else. And then I'm going to learn uh, to love myself because if there really is a full creation and there's a God and God, this God loves us, then I had to be able to love myself as a means then of actually growing in my ability to love the, the, the entire universe and beyond, which is where God would be and, um, and other people. So, uh, 
I could keep on going, but I think I'm going to stop because I have no idea how long I've been talking here now. There, but hopefully you heard something there that kind of framed uh, some of that that question out. Yeah, there there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of ways I could lead off because you said a lot of really interesting things that got the wheels turning in my head. Um, I won't I won't really delve into this too much, but you know when you were talking a little bit more about um, like mysticism and that kind of thing, it, it's really interesting because. I kind of fell into a little bit of a rabbit hole when I started reading uh, one of the philosophers that I touched on in my book was uh, Pico della Mirandola. And he's really obscure. Not many people have heard of him. He's yeah, not, 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 not very well known. Um, he he wrote the uh, basically like the the manifesto of the Renaissance is uh, on on the dignity of man. And hmm. uh, essentially what. What, what he talks about is that, you know, God created everything in the universe because in the Renaissance, basically everyone was a Christian. You know, that that was kind of the um, the paradigm of, of the, the day. And um, what you had in the Renaissance was you had some thinkers that started to challenge kind of like the Middle Age mindset. You know, there was a, um, a statement that the Pope made, there was like a writing that he had made where he basically, you know, said that like, you know, men are just like sinful, wretched creatures and kind of the response of the humanists during the Renaissance in Florence was, you know, actually, you know, we're, we're kind of, uh, we're kind of neutral, right? Like God, God created us with freedom of will. So, you know, he assigned the angels a place, you know, he assigned the beasts and the animals a place, but he created mankind, humankind and basically gave us the decision that we can devolve to our lower instincts and we can be like beasts or we can elevate ourselves through wisdom and logic and faith and we can become more like the angels Um, and i i love that idea right of being kind of between two worlds and i think you know you spoke to that again with like faith and logic is the more i look at everything and the more i feel like i attain wisdom which is uh very limited. Believe me, I, I don't, I don't have much, but, uh, I, I just, I keep seeing this like reoccurring theme of this tension between two ideas or two forces. And there's like very rarely the way it's, it's like you're in a balance between, you know, two, two, uh, two like pinball machines that are just bouncing you back and forth and, and you're just trying to kind of stay in the middle. And I think that they're, that's how I feel with like faith and, and logic is, you know, I was, I had faith and logic sort of like shook me out of that where I was like, well, I don't like, I can't really back up my faith with logic. And then I didn't have faith. And then I went down the logic rabbit hole and I tried to like, I wanted to prove, I I used to pray. I'd, I'd pray to God. I'd be like, just, just like, give me, and I know this is from the Bible too, but you know, they're like a, a wretched generation asks for a sign, you know, but I'm just like, get, just give me a sign. So I know. Um, and I, I can't remember the philosopher that I read. He was a theologian from like the, the middle ages. I, I don't know why I'm uh, just blanking on him, but he, he talked about like the obscurity of God that like God is just visible enough so that it's reasonable to take a leap of faith because if he was any more evident if if it was any more provable people wouldn't have the free the free will to deny so it's like god and faith are just just within reach where you could reasonably deny it or you could reasonably you know take that leap of faith and um yeah it's it's that it's that tension and i I remember my, uh, my fiance, when we first met, we were having a conversation and she's a Christian. Um, and we were talking and I'm talking about philosophy and she's so wise, uh, despite not being all into philosophy and everything. And, you know, she, she just said something that, that hit so hard. And it was like, you know, basically like logic will never take you all the way there. Like there's, you can infinitely doubt every single thing, no no matter how much proof you have, you can always find a doubt. And at the end of the day, you know, everything that we believe in, you just have to take a leap of faith. Like even when it comes to science, you know, believing that the world is round or like, you know, it's, it's very rare that most, that any of us have done the actual work 
to definitively prove ourselves through our understanding of science that the world is round. But we just sort of accept that the scientific community has made this a truth. And so we, we you know, accept it for ourselves. And um, obviously, you know, with, with faith, that's a much more difficult thing because I, I, I don't think that we ever will have proof one way or the other. And, you know, maybe that's by design, right? Maybe it's just so that we can have that free will. Well, the, the fun thing to think about with that, and, and by the way, I think I think your uh, your fiance is very wise in um, in 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 what she said. Um, is that doubt plays a role even in in the in the Bible, and I think that's what a lot of people miss. Um, like, there's a f- interesting, really a fascinating passage. Like, you have a, a guy that um, um, uh, he wants Jesus to heal his son, and and Jesus says, just believe, and he goes, I believe, Lord, help me with my unbelief. It's one of my favorite verses. And then, more remarkably, even when, um, um, when after Jesus is resurrected, these are the resurrection stories at the end of the Gospels, and it's in, um, in Matthew, um, it's right before a really famous passage where Jesus gives the Great Commission and tells the disciples to go into all the world and make disciples of everyone. But right before there, Jesus says he's in Galilee. The disciples have gone up there to meet him, and there's Jesus. He's alive. And so they're having this resurrection experience. And, it's, and it says, this is Matthew, I think it's 28, 16 or 17. Um, it says, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And, you know, you're thinking like, what? It's like you're sitting right there. This guy you saw nailed to a cross. And, again, this is a story, and you can choose to believe it or not, but it's just amazing that embedded into the story is there's, the disciples were there with the resurrected Jesus, and it still said that some doubted somehow, right? And so I think we just have to own the fact that um, doubting is part of faith. Um, you know, so maybe to know God is to doubt. To doubt is to know God. I mean, that's a almost a worthless aphorism, but it's, it's interesting just to play along those polarities. Um, and it, it, you know, at some point, I think the, the questions up being, like, can you prove that God exists? Um, well, you could disprove Christianity. Um, I don't know how it would happen at this point, but if you could have found Jesus's body and just like, Hey, look, here, he's dead. Um, that would have been the way to disprove Christianity. And obviously there's all kinds of conspiracies that go back to that. But I mean, that would have been the the one way that you would falsify Christianity would be to somehow find his body, find a grave, prove with DNA somehow that this was Jesus. That would be the one thing that would disprove. So I will say that there is a way to falsify it. I don't know how that happens in 2023 at this point. So we can say that. Um, the um, Yeah, um, you know, I actually forgot what else I was going to say there, but that would be the, um, I mean, that's how I would respond about the, um, um, yeah. the, the doubt. Um, yeah. And philosophers have always been kind of open, um, you know, like, you know, why isn't God more visible? And that's its own interesting question too. But, oh, I know what I was going to say. You have to decide. I think this is more of an existential kind of a question. <clears throat> this, and, and this, I think this is for Kierkegaard. We talk about a leap of faith. It's like, okay, um, I'm going to believe in something bigger than myself that in the process of believing in that I become something better than what I am right now. And so like, you know, I I would just say um, when I think about why I'm still a Christian, there's many reasons. And, you know, do I believe in Jesus's resurrection? Yes. Um, But, but in my bones, if I had to back off of that, um, I would still be a Christian just simply because of the way Jesus died. I still find it remarkable that um, um, unlike the way that we would, most of us would respond when Jesus was getting arrested, um, you know, you may remember um, one of his disciples picks up a sword and tries to defend him and he lops off the ear of one of the guys that's coming out and Jesus tells him, ends up being Peter, he says, Peter, put your sword down. And then he heals the person, the very person that's going to take him when he's going to have crucified. So I find that remarkable. So put away our sword. And then the other image that I really love is Jesus on the cross, and uh, um, he looks at the people that crucified him and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And, you know, I, I'll let Shane, when I think about myself, I'd like to be the kind of man, hope I never get crucified, of course, um, uh, or anything close to that. But, I, you know, I would like to follow Jesus so that um, 
I can become a person under extreme adversity and even, um, I mean, horrific cr- uh, punishment for something that I, I wasn't even guilty of, that I could still look them straight in the eye and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, even if that was literally like one of the last things I was ever going to get to say. So to me, that's my, that's my apologetic for um, why I'm a Christian. And then I've obviously seen it um, transform people's lives in, in community. Um, but that's, for me, that's how it works. So it's like, what kind of person does this story call me to become and does it and does yeah. it have staying power yeah and it it makes me think of when the like the the wise man or like the teacher asked jesus right like what what's the greatest of your commandments and he just says to love one another as i've loved you right like out of, out of all the infinite things that he could have said right he, he he could have said you know like for example like love your god more than anything else he could have said you know, protect yourself or protect your family or live for honor, like all the things he could have said, right? He just, he said, love one another as I've loved you. And that, I think that's a, uh, that's a very powerful message that you're talking about there. Just, you know, to, to be good to one another. Yeah. And that's, that's that's what our, yeah. And that's what our world uh, needs. It needs authentic uh, embrace of even persons that are different from us that we may disagree with, but, but we can love them. And I think the person that can love the best, um, their story wins for eternity. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting, like, this is something that, you know, com- comes to mind a little, little like snippets of, you know, when I was really deep into Christianity pop into my head, but <clears throat> you know, I think about the idea of like, you know, when Jesus goes in and he flips over the tables of the money changers, right? And it's it's interesting and of note, I think that, you know, as you mentioned, we can still fight for justice, right? Like you can you can still at times be willing to condemn something if if you, you know, truly know that it's an injustice, but still, you know, love and accept. Like it's okay to go in and flip over the money changing table if it really needs to be done, but at the same time, right. It's, it's putting, putting the love for like our fellow human beings above everything else. That's right. And, and even in those cases, again, uh, I mean, I think th- those are, I'm glad you raised that up. It's always important to kind of point up a counter narrative. Cause that seems like, well, that's, that's angry Jesus there. And so we, we can name that. And, and then the one thing we just observe is um, Jesus didn't kill anybody. Um, he, he knocked over sure. a bunch of tables. He didn't go start punching people in the face or anything. He just drove them out of the, out of the temple. So there's ways to actually, stand for justice in ways that ultimately model the sort of society that we would like to see that doesn't involve violence against other people. Sure. So, so one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and I, I guess, you know, you, you're currently working on a book about it, so you probably have some ideas on the subject, but, um, you know, do, do you have any advice for anyone that, you know, maybe is currently like seeking truth in their life or they're just, they're going through a struggle, you know, what, what would your recommendation be for someone in that situation? Yeah. Uh, I, what I think the key thing is to, is to stay curious. Um, that that's always the, the most, that's the, 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 the most important posture always is to be curious and be curious also, not just about things on the outside, but be super curious about how you react to things on the inside. Uh, you know, the, I think the Greeks, uh, they have the, what is the Delphic Oracle, the whole know, know thyself. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the, um, that's the, that's the quest. And I would suggest on the path to knowing yourself, um, if you seek that with all your heart, I think you ultimately have to open up something bigger than yourself and i would suggest that that bigger thing is what we're talking about when we talk about god now to go along with that uh, it's great to to, um you know read uh, i would say read scripture and i'll use that broadly like if you're interested in exploring christianity obviously you should try to read the bible and you know start with the gospels and read about jesus but you don't have to limit yourself to that um but you know read the great books um and be around people that are interested in the same conversations. And I would also suggest that people adopt what I would call spiritual practices, whether or not you consider yourself spiritual or not. And what I mean by that, uh, the same things that this is just part of the perennial wisdom traditions, uh, some form of, um, of, of quiet silence and solitude practice, which we could call meditation. I would think I would suggest journaling, being around like-minded people, 
maybe do some fasting and things like that. And so you do these spiritual exercises to yourself and that, that just puts you in the position of being open. And, um, you know, and if you read the Christian tradition, Augustine always talks about you have a restless heart until you find rest in God. That's the first page of his confessions. Um, Blaise Pascal in his Ponces talks about everybody has a God-sized hole that has to be filled. And so pay attention to the, on your inside to how you fill whatever void that you feel. And I still say it again, pay attention to how you fill, F-I-L-L, whatever void, anxiety, guilt, shame, whatever you, however you fill that, um, pay attention because the, um, the path to God is learning to observe the inner pain without trying to make it go away. And, uh, and if you can hold that space, uh, I think you will find God. But if you try to numb that space, um, that leads to just kind of different roles that potentially kind of ultimately um, deeper, depersonalize us and maybe even deform us. But the way to formation is to notice what's going on in the inside observe it and use practices that open us up um, to, to, uh, to the divine. And if you want to do something really crazy like I did when I was a kid, I was like, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And then I started reading the Bible and that kind of the rest was history. But I still like to pray that sometimes. Lord, astonish me. If you're really there, astonish me. And yeah. And if God's real, um, it seems like that'd be a prayer that God would answer. Sure. Yeah, and I, I like what you say about, you know, as far as like going through a time of trial or depression, right? Like kind of looking inward in a way to the answer, um, you know, something I've been paying attention to a little bit more, um, is, is like, you know, dopamine levels, for example, right? Like there's a biology there too, is that, you know, as you mentioned, like a lot of us feel this like depression or this void. And for someone that's not self-aware, the way that we, typically try to fill that space is by, you know, chasing these little moments of dopamine. And, you know, in, in our current world, it, there's so many places we can go to, to get that rush, right. To get that feeling of, of being alive. It's, you know, mindlessly scrolling through, you know, TikTok or Instagram or, uh, you know, porn or junk food or, energy drinks or like that. There's so many things that you can go to, to get this rush. Um, you know, and even like the food that we eat a lot of times, you know, it's processed, it has chemicals added to it to make it taste stronger. It has sugars that, you know, give you that dopamine hit and all of these places that get stimulated in your mind are the same places that get stimulated when you take a shot of heroin or when you, you know, snort a line of cocaine, uh, and what ends up happening is, you know, like you, these dopamine receptors just get destroyed and washed out and the same things that gave you a thrill once end up just leaving you feeling, you know, like more of a craving. Um, and, and that's kind of, I guess, like that void also you talked about with Nietzsche earlier, right? There's, there's kind of like this void, this abyss within. And if you stare at it too long, you can go down that kind of like really dangerous, like I'd, I'd say like pure logical, philosophical route where you just end up feeling like everything is meaningless. But, you know, if you can push through that, a lot of times you can find like a faith or a meaning or a spirituality on the other side. And, you know, conversely, you can choose to run from it and, you know, you can just temporarily fill it up with these, I'll say, uh, you know, kind of more like superficial ways of, you know, getting that dopamine hit. But typically it's the things that you mentioned, right? Like journaling, self-work, meditation, uh, exercise, eating, you know, making better lifestyle choices, all of these things, you know, create kind of like a more balanced life that ultimately can get you through uh, difficult periods. You know, I, th I think that if you're in a very difficult time and you just focus on the negative, it's very overwhelming. It's better, I think, to just focus on the small things that you can control and, you know, have that faith that like eventually things are going to, you know, take a turn for the better. Because they, they always seem to at some point. No, that's exactly right. I call it the, we all have to build a container. I mean, all of us, or a staircase, you might even say, like all of us, 
I mean, I don't know, probably all prefer, like, let's say we have to get to the top of the Empire State Building or, or uh, taking the elevator blasting up there. But the problem is if we live by blasts off, and that's what dopamine hits basically, or trying to take a magic pill, push a button on an elevator, blast it up. But the problem is at some point the elevator comes crashing all the way back down and you're just back all the way down to the ground floor or worse, you even end up in the basement. And so instead what we want to do, and that's what when we talk about these spiritual practices, what we're doing is we're building a container to contain all of our questions, our doubts, but also our insights, um, our growth. And it's like building a spiraling staircase up to the top of the mountain or the top of the Empire State Building. And so what happens? Are you going to have setbacks? Absolutely. But guess what? If you fall down the steps and it's a spiral staircase, um, we're assuming you don't get hurt really bad, of course, but uh, you're only going to fall down a few steps. And then what do you do? You get back up and you just keep kind of plugging along there. So it's that, I think, the, the slow, consistent practice opens us up to growth and then, you know, you look back someday, and this is where Kier, one of my favorite court quotes is from Kierkegaard. Um, and this is a summary of a longer passage, but it, it shows up in social media a lot. Is um, you can only live your life moving forward, you can or looking forward, you can only understand your life looking backwards. That's that staircase approach. You're slowly climbing, and at some point, you just like you look and you're thinking like I'm not getting anywhere. Then you like look back like, whoa, I climbed 50 stories. Um, but you got to take those times to notice, contemplate, and build. And so, you know, that's, uh, um, that's, that's, I mean, to me, that's, that's the advice and that's, um, that's, that's life. Again, do I like an occasional, you know, blast off moment? Cause you know, I've had some deep spiritual experiences. It's not like you maybe did when you were younger and stuff too. We love those little moments, but the whole thing is they're moments and you have to end up coming back to your sort of regular life. And so do you, can you build a container that lets you take the biggest insights from downloads and um, books and spiritual experiences and put them in your life so that you're legit a changed person long game. Sure. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think, I think that's the, uh, that's the journey of excellence, right? And it's just, uh, and I, I talk about this all the time is it's, you know, it's, it's never really about the, destination right like we we don't ever really reach the destination it's but by focusing on the process by focusing on the journey i think that's where we really excel as individuals and um i i just finished up uh the art of motorcycle maintenance and uh gotta say i was like i just rocked my socks off i wish i would have read it a long time ago and i loved all the philosophy wrapped up in it you know they talk a lot about the ancient greek and it, it just really kind of reemphasize that idea of like arete uh in in the greek right that excellence like that's you know that's the thing and that's what you were talking about with the book that you're working on too right is it's it's about just being your best right it not not necessarily because you're trying to reach any end goal not necessarily because you know there's going to be a reward for it but just because you have this desire to be your best and that that becomes your motivation right yeah, and, and it's from settling in, in a sense, because um, I've chased stuff. I'm 54, and by the way, you're, you you beat me on the art, what is it, the Zen and the Art of Motorcycle, whatever. I just read that, like, I don't know, five years ago, so I'm older than you, I know. So you beat me by multiple years there, so I'll say it's good. But, yeah, but, but that but that is the thing, and, the, and, it's the, and here's the key thing. It's be your best knowing that you're already unconditionally loved and enough as you are versus I'm going to be my best to prove to the whole world sure. um, something that you don't believe about yourself. And that that's that sweet spot where the Arate thing, I think, really kicks in. It's, uh, if, you know, I, I assume that, you know, like one of my favorite phrases is I'm enough. And that sounds like, wow, that's easy. For me. But you have to get that in your core of your soul. I do enough. I have enough. I am enough. Yeah and make that the baseline. And then it's all fun then. And then the question becomes, um, um, you know, like I always liked Shrek. I don't know if you like Shrek. I'm, uh, that was a thing 20 years ago now, but that the Shrek donkey has that funny scene. And I think in the Shrek two where the donkey keeps going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And it's like, it's not, that's not even a question. It's like, um, how far can we get? And that's what to me excellence is. It's just the fun, accepting the fact that we're unconditionally accepted, I would say by God, and then, okay, wow, how do you live after that? It's like, let's just see how far we can get. Sure. 
And so the, there's there's one more question I really wanted to touch on before we you know get into some of the kind of like repeat questions that I have um, for every guest. Okay. Uh, and what I what I wanted to ask about was right like part of the show is trying to identify you know things that you know listeners viewers that we can do that we can integrate into our lives like practically to to make ourselves better right. Um, you know, how do you feel and what are some ways that you'd recommend integrating spirituality into kind of our daily lives to help us become better? No, absolutely. Yeah, this is uh, yeah, this is actually literally my sweet spot thing. Basically, and I'm mm-hmm. going to go back to the phrase of, of a container. Um, you want to integrate spirituality into your life or your life into spirituality just so that you could see your life as spiritual. So what does that mean? Um, I, what I would say is create rhythms and again this gets down to temp your temperament i'm like i'm a, a pretty methodical person um you know like i could literally eat the same thing every day if i really had to and i wouldn't mind that so um you have to make this work for you but you what you want to fa- create basically are a set of patterns and so you know what i what i really recommend with folks is try to s- start your morning well you always hear people talk about morning routines i think that's important so find some way to open yourself up, um, your spiritual side in the morning, whether it's sitting for a couple minutes in silence, doing some journaling, you know, if you you know read something uh, uh, powerful, you know, whether it's a, actually a scripture from a religion or whatever, but get a pattern, and then at night you should repeat some of that. Um, at least I think a little journaling to try to find what were some things that I could be grateful for for the day. I mean that that'll get your day framed out, but. One of the things that I've been experimenting with at this point, it's become habits, is um, I take pauses. Um, if, like if we were monks in monasteries, they have a bell that goes off every, every so many hours during the day, and they, the monks literally stop their work and, the, and they pray. Um, and so what I've been trying to do is um, at key moments during the day, it's just taking a pause for a two or three minutes of just silence just to reset. Um, you know, maybe you say a prayer before your meals. I mean, I would just suggest that create a series of habits that, again, give you the container to move through life and, and you slowly become the things that you do. And so that would be my best advice is just to, to create habits and be intentional. Because that's the thing. Be intentional about what you're, what you're trying to do. And, and if you admire people... Um, I think Tony Robbins and his mentor, Jim Rohn, always said success leaves clues. Model the things that the people that you admire do and implement that in your life and see if it works for you. That would that would be my advice on how to bring spirituality into your life. But if, if don't just wait till like a Sunday or, you know, whatever um, day your service is. You got to um, that's the called consider this the worship service, the cherry on top of the Sunday, build a Sunday during the week. Yeah, I, I really like that, uh, you know, the monk ringing the bell idea. And that's that was one of the things that I was really impressed by and I, I really respect about, um, like, Islam also is, you know, I, yes. I think that, like, that built-in prayer, like, I, I spent, you know, two, three months in uh, Turkey with a friend of mine. And, you know, that every morning when the sun comes up, the call to prayer goes off. And it's, it's funny because you hear all like the wild dogs like howling to it, like it, it goes off and the dogs are howling and barking. But um, and Turkey's pretty lax, you know. You don't see as many people like it's very westernized. You don't see as many people like really following by the call to prayer as as in depth. But it, it is it's a beautiful kind of way of life, right? That like every morning you start your day with prayer, and then it happens periodically throughout the day, and then every night when the sun goes down, you pray and. Um, you know, I think that that says something for, I think like why those cultures are typically more in touch with their faith because they're just, they're spending those, you know, couple of moments of reflection and remembering and and touching in or, you know, tapping into, to something beyond themselves where, you know, as you mentioned, right? Like in, in our world, in the Western world, a lot of people literally will, you know, they'll go through the entire week and they'll live their life. And then they go to church on Sunday and, you know, by, by Monday morning, they've kind of already gotten out of touch with, you know, maybe that, that wisdom that they've tapped into. So it does, it has to be a, it has to be a habit. It has to be something daily. 
you know, small things done consistently over time yield extraordinary results. And it's just, it's as simple as that. That's like the deepest truth that uh, I've ever found. So you become the things that you do and we have to open ourselves up to, um, to growth. Sure. So I want to, um, I want to tap into real quick, uh, you know, go, go through these questions. We'll, we'll make it pretty quick. I know you got to, um, cut off here in the next, uh, 10 minutes or so. So, um, okay, cool. have, have you personally experienced like most people who have, you know, reached some success or done something of note in life have gone through like a, a setback period, you know, pretty like real quickly. I mean, have you ever experienced like a big setback, um, that, you know, caused you to kind of have like a personal renaissance or change as a human being? No, absolutely. I, I mean, I've had, um, multiple ones, but I mean, the, the biggest mm -hmm. one in my life happened in, in 2010. Um, I'd been in a difficult 20 year marriage that was difficult looking back, but, um, uh, I was, you know, Christian, so I was, was I wasn't going to get a, a divorce, and so I was just making a go of it. But it blew up, and uh, my former wife uh, decided she wanted to be married and just left me and my daughters. And uh, that was probably, I mean, I wouldn't be on your podcast if that wouldn't have happened. That was the point at which um, all my old certainties disintegrated, um, my old way of believing disappeared. <laughs> And I just went into this, um, what I would call a dark night of the soul. It wasn't so, and, and, and I had to overcome the financial setback, um, the relational setback, and then even the vocational one. Cause I'm, you know, I've been, I still am an ordained pastor and I was also, I teach at a seminary that, you know, that's not supposed to happen <laughs> so yeah. I have to deal with this identity crisis, let alone the personal crisis, let alone the financial devastation that kicked in. So, uh, um, yeah, that, that was, that was the crater moment. And, uh, and essentially, you know, I spent, um, I went, I was always interested in growth, spirituality, but it all, I had to take full agency at that moment because my old, um, you know, like there's a song I like, and I can't think who the artist is, but it has a line. Um, I've been freed from all old stories I've been told. So now I walk in the valley of my own shadow. And so I basically had agency given to me like a reset button and it's like okay what am i going to do now and i had to decide and i had to decide and so that was um that was my moment okay yeah that i, I love that I, I love that uh you know and that that's why i always ask that question because every single person right it seems that you know it's kind of they're flourishing as an individual they they hit that moment they hit that paradigm and they make the decision to take control over their destiny and kind of like rebuild as opposed to just letting it wreck them. Right. I think I always yes. think that that's the difference between someone that, you know, just kind of like washes away, you know, like their, their spirit gets, you know, destroyed and hampered versus the person that continues to grow, you know? Um, yes. so along with that, and we talked a little bit about this, do you, do you have any, personal daily habits that you, that you run through that, you know, help you in life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's some of the things I did say, but, um, you know, my, my container basically looks like this. Um, you know, you mentioned three things like, um, to me, th three pillars that we don't always talk about. I always try to make sure I get a good sleep. It's not always easy as you get older, but I, you know, I try to sleep seven to eight hours. I eat as healthy as I possibly can. And again, I'm not a nutritionist and people debate on what's the healthy stuff, but I try to be intentional in what I eat and I exercise every single day. So those are like, that's the bedrock kind of physical practices that I have. And then in the morning, um, as soon as I wake up, I mean, I do have coffee when we wake up and then my wife and I, we do, um, silent meditation together, um, centering prayer. And so I do 15 to 20 minutes every single day, almost without exception. There's rare times where I have to abbreviate it. Um, I journal and my journaling practice is, is straightforward in the morning. I write down five things I'm grateful for. And then I write down, and this helped me, uh, uh, it's, it's not as, un it's not as impactful now, but for, I've been doing this for 12 years as I would write down every day, what seems to be bothering me? And do I notice sensations or feelings inside of my body? And I just recorded that. Like I feel anxiety in my stomach. So I just, I, every day I describe what's the state of this body temple when I write it down. And then I write down um, 
what 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 would make today a pretty good day, and I just you know remind myself of stuff I'm going to do, and then at night. I do the mirror practice. I think I hinted at this. I write down three things that went really well during the day, and then I make any notes to myself of something I need to do the next day. So I have a, a start to the day and a finish. And then throughout the rest of the day, you know, I, I'm a professor, so getting to read stuff is, I mean, that's part of my job, but that's a practice. And I read stuff that I want to read at different parts of the day. I do additional um, centering prayer breaks during the day. And I've noticed, uh, and this might, this is anti-intuitive, when you're the most stressed out and and your life is the craziest, double your spiritual practices, um, because that actually opens up more space. The math doesn't work, but I've noticed when I get super freaked out, stressed out, the more meditation I do during the day, I manage to get the stuff done, even though I've taken up more time to do the spiritual stuff. So that's what I do. So I, I'm, and like I said, um, I'm pretty methodical on these things. I'm, I'm, I got the personality type that likes, that can live, do this discipline. Um, but so if somebody's listening, they're like, I can never do the same thing every day. I'd say, well, guess what? Then find patterns and do something different every day, but do these different things. But that's what I do. Back from a technical glitch there. Uh, Next thing I wanted to move on to real quick was uh, I'd like to ask two book recommendations for for all the guests. Yeah, well, uh, I I would say uh, for just talking about uh, books, I mean, I have to say uh, the Bible. And if you've never read the Bible before, I would I would suggest um, reading through either the Gospel of Matthew or John and the book of Psalms. Um, The Psalms are a book of prayers. You can see how people prayed and then you can learn the story of Jesus. So I would say the Bible. Um, and my in a second book, um, it's easy, and, and this, these are always the hardest questions. And uh, I, I would recommend people reading um, Seneca's um, Letters from a Stoic or Epictetus' Discourses or his Enchiridion. Sorry, I just didn't give you three there, but I I found those ancient texts uh, the most um, most helpful. Um, you know, I don't, but those I would just point to those ancient those ancient books there. Great, I, I love those too. Great, great recommendations. Um, what about, uh, do, do you have like a personal hero or any, you know, any heroes that you specifically look up to? I look up to a lot of people. I mean, I have, I've had fantastic mentors. Um, so, you know, when, when I think of a hero, um, I mean, I would say, you know, I guess I would say people like, um, I'll just go back to the authors. I would say Jesus is a hero for the way that he died. And I'd also, um, of all the Stoics, I really like Epictetus. I have nothing against Marcus Aurelius and Seneca, but they were like billionaires or whatever, which again, I have nothing against billionaires either. But uh, but Epictetus had been a slave. And um, when he got his freedom, he became a teacher. And then at least the tradition's true. He put his money where his mouth is, and uh, he took care of a little orphan. And as, as he got older, and uh, I, I admire that a lot—that he was a, a guy that came from a really difficult place and was able to transcend that. I mean, other heroes—I uh, love people that have made comebacks from real challenges, um, you know. But um, and, and personally, I'll just name a mentor of mine. Um, uh, Bob Tuttle, um, most people never heard of him, but he was uh, one of my colleagues at um, Asbury Seminary, and he's in his 80s now. But uh, he's with a guy that uh, he's had a hard life at different levels, but he's always come through his challenges. To, 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 me, to me, what I would say was he models the love of Jesus. And if there's anybody that makes me want to be a Christian, it would be Bob Tuttle. And so uh, um, he's, one, he's one of my heroes, though no, most folks out here probably would not know who he is. That's awesome. No, those are those are all good, uh, all all great people to look up to, for sure. And um, the the last question I'll ask. Uh, so, if you could go back in time, speak to you know a fifteen year old version of yourself. You know, I feel like a lot of people we we go through a tough time when we're in a teen trying to find ourselves. Uh, if you could go back to a teenage version of yourself and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah, um, I would say. Um, this, these are going to be related. I would say I would want my younger self to have learned how to meditate at an earlier age to become really mindful of what goes through our heads. And related to that, um, I would tell myself, because I'm a very in-my-head person, this might be opposite for somebody else, but um, pay attention to the way your body feels 
and um, in the sensations in your body, uh, because the body, this is one of my favorite books, Body Keeps the Score, the body will tell you truths that nobody else can. And so that's what I would say is like, do the spiritual work with these practices, a me- good meditation practice, and then an ability to become actually aware of how you feel and learn to describe how you feel as, and that would be a skill along with um, other personal development things that I think would really help. Cause that would put, that puts you in a position where you can be present and being sure. fully present, giving somebody your attention and your work, your attention, your studies, your attention, that's a superpower. And I think um, that would have helped me greatly if I would have known those two things when I was a teenager along with, I didn't know a bunch of stuff. I was always a good student, but I wish I could have added those two pieces. Yeah, that that's really, really good advice. Really good advice for, for a younger self. Um, so Brian, we'll, we'll wrap it up. I know you got to hop off here. I appreciate you coming on today, your patience. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you. I'd, I'd love to talk some more sometime soon, but um, anything else you want to throw out before we hop off? No, I'm just super grateful to everybody listening. Thank you. Best wishes on uh, the work that you're doing. And uh, I'll, I'll give a quote from uh, Bob Tuttle um, as a way to end. Uh, he always said the secret to life was show up, pay attention, and know that God's got way more invested in everything that's happening than, than you do. Beautiful. All right. Thanks again, Brian. I really enjoyed our talk today. Thank you. Well, thank you, Shane. Great to meet you. You as well. Thanks for listening to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast, and hopefully you learned at least one lesson on today's episode. Our mission here is to uncover practical wisdom to create a better way of living for our audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us by leaving the show a review on your podcast platform of choice and by giving it a share on social media. This really helps us to grow our audience and to continue to add more episodes. If you are interested in learning more, please check out our website at renaissance-wisdom.com Or check out the book that started it all, Renaissance Wisdom, How to Flourish in the Modern Day, now on Amazon. Thank you again, and may wisdom be your guide.